bulletins uh, back over. And we are, if you've never been here before, we preach in series. And so the front is just some notes for you to follow along with what I'm going to be talking to you about for the next few moments. We're starting a new sermon series today called Clean Living in a Dirty World. Clean Living in, in, in a Dirty World. And, and let me give you this disclaimer because maybe if you've never been to church before, you're, you're going to think that I'm talking negatively uh, about the world in a whole and kind of as a whole and kind of judging people. Uh, this message is not about the world so much as it is about, about, about you if you're a follower of Christ. How do you live a life that, that God calls you to live in, in a culture where, to be honest with you, it's becoming more hostile to that? How, how do you live a life that, that's set apart, not, not, not being different so that you can just be different, but being different so that God could allow you to make a, a difference? How, how, do you, how do you do that? So just kind of some background, how we got this sermon series. Uh, sometimes, we, sometimes we just have ideas that, that, you know, come through my head or somebody else says. Sometimes we're having a conversation in the offices at Journey Church and we kind of come across this. And so summer was coming and we were kind of discussing how, how all of us, you know, or, or how the culture kind of has this idea of living clean, like, you know, detoxing your body, getting ready of your gut before the summer comes. That's always a good idea. You know, watching what you eat, taking certain pills, doing whatever you need to do to kind of detoxify your body uh, from outside influences. And so it happens in my house even. Yesterday I came up to my wife and I said, I said I'm feeling uh, very bloated, right? Like a, like a, like a four-month-old pregnant woman. No offense if you're four months old. You, you look awesome. But I feel, I feel awful. I'm a man, so I'm not pregnant. And so anyway, can, do you have a pill for me? And so her, her, her response to me was, yeah, the, the pill is to run. You should run a little bit more and exercise. And I said, but seriously, it's just air in there. You're, you're, your husband's like, you're always, when you look at yourself, you just assume I look good, right? Like I get, I'm getting better. I'm like fine wine. I'm getting better with age. I look, I look good. And so but I, but I felt bad, and so I said, do you have any bloating things? And so she gave, me, uh, she gave me these pills. She has one of those little wheels in her house. If you have a wife, maybe, or some kind of health, health nut in your, in your house, you'll have, a, you'll have a, a, a trail mix section and a granola section, and then you have a, because uh, uh, that's what you eat if you're healthy, right? And, so, and then you have uh, these pills on this wheel. It's like the Wheel of Fortune. You just spin it, and you grab one, and you take it. You'll be fine. And so I said, you know, give me something. So she gave me this stuff, and you know, this morning actually, I mean, I feel I feel a lot better about about myself. I have no no bloating. In the first service, I said I was constipated. I wasn't constipated. I just forgot the word. And so anyway, clean living, detoxing, keeping the the outside influences from in, influencing the inside person is what we're going to be talking about. And as we kind of talked about how we do this physically, I started thinking, man, this is a great series. Maybe preach on how you do it spiritually. We can talk about things like vitamin A, which is, which is vision, how to, how to fill your spiritual life with, with vision. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about vitamin C, which is just health. And, and, and vitamin C has to come from another source. We don't produce it. If I read correctly on Google, maybe I didn't. Uh, maybe I should have done some more studying. But from what I saw when I was studying, we don't produce it. It has to come from an outside source. So my message next week is you can't live a healthy life just by being a better person. You have to spend time with, with the sun. You have to spend time with, with Jesus. And he is he's your vitamin C. Then we're going to talk about vitamin D, courage, and vitamin E, protection, and all sorts of stuff like that. But today, we're going to start off talking about vitamin E or A, which is, is vision. How to live a clean life in a, in a dirty world. My question for you today is this, is how many of you would say that it's extremely hard to live a Christian life in our culture? Just put your hand up if you would agree with that. I mean, it's extremely, some of you are just like, that's why I do what I do. The devil made me, me do it, right? Like, I just... 
It's extremely hard to live a Christian life in our culture. I'll put two hands up for that. Like, like telling people you're a Christian, I know the, the hot button is Christians judge, but when you tell somebody you're a Christian, everybody judges you right away. Like as soon as you tell them you're a Christian, they're like, man, I hate you already. I don't even know you. I didn't even tell me your last name, but you said Christian, and that's all I need to know about you. We live in a hostile environment. It's not as bad as like other parts of the world where people are getting killed for their faith. They're getting beheaded. Uh, they're getting persecuted. But it's still tough. People mock you. People make fun of you. People they, that know science think your God is ridiculous. People that, that, that you tell people, I'm not sleeping with anybody until I get married. I'm not doing certain things until I get married. Why? Because I believe in God. Well, have you ever seen God? No, but I've experienced God. Well, explain that. Well, I can't explain that. Like, like, why are you do those things? Why are you different? Well, because God asked me to, to be different. Not because I want to be different than you, because I want to be better than you, but because I want to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. And here, here, here's, here's the good news for you that I would encourage you with, is though it's hard to live a life that's different for Jesus, it's, it's not impossible. And I would, I would add this disclaimer, it's always been hard. Sometimes you'll, you'll grow up in this culture and you'll start to get influenced by anybody that's o- over the age of 50. This is no influence to anybody that's over the age of 50 because I'm 35, so I'm going that direction. And what I found to myself to start to say, and this is how you know you're starting to get older, is when you start to look at your world and you go, man, the world was so much better when, when I was younger. It's so much worse now. That's how you know you're getting older. Because when a 50-year-old says that, what they've forgotten because they probably were doing so much drugs is the 70s, right? Totally forgot that decade. It was so awesome, Right? Like the 70s was, was not the best of time in America. And then sometimes you get a real old person like, America was so much better. Well, what about the time in American history when if you were a certain color, you could only drink out of a certain water fountain. And if you were another certain color, you couldn't. Well, I mean, that was kind of bad. And then if you go even farther back, what do you go back to the 1800s when a guy named Abraham Lincoln was president and he had to argue with a bunch of other politicians and ones that claimed to be Christians that slavery was wrong. I mean, he actually got killed for believing in that. So America was better then? Or if you just go back in the Bible and you look in the Bible, when, when exactly was it better to be a Christian? Was it better to be a Christian uh, in, in the Roman, when, the, when the Romans were in charge and they were hanging people upside down on crosses and beheading people and impaling people that believed in Christ? Or could we just keep going back? It has never been easy to live a Christian life. So in that, in that scenario, you can do one of three things to me. The first thing is you could just move away, get a bubble, invest in a bubble, fill it up with some some holy oxygen, move your family in, and stay away from everybody. We could do that together. I could sell you timeshares in this condominium. We can invest in Kool-Aid. We can do all that. We can kind of all just move away from the evil world, and then we all will think the same and be the same, and everything will be, will be perfect. It's always turned out perfect when people do that. I refuse to be the next Lifetime movie, so we're not going to do, do that. Or, or you could say, Heck with it, I'm just going to be like everybody else. You can look at the rest of the Christians in this world, and you can say Christians, they act and do just what everybody else act and does. They, they, they talk the same, they do the same things, they, they get divorced the same amount of percentage, they, they cheat the same, they look at pornography the same, they spend their money on the same thing. So, I'm, hey, I'm just like everybody else. They jump off a bridge, I'm jumping off too. When we get to heaven, my excuse is going to be, my sister made me do it. Or, or you could realize that, that, that maybe, maybe God has put you on, on this earth to, to not live, live for the earth, but to accomplish great things for him 
on this earth for his, his kingdom. You, you can understand that it's never been easy to live a Christian life, a clean life in a dirty world, but it, but it is, it's possible. And God's not making you clean to make you different so he can make you a little trophy and you can walk around and tell everybody how religious you are and how biblical you are and how special you are and you can get on Facebook and you can humble brag about how much God loves you. God wants to make you different because this world, there's no hope. When your friends fall flat on their face, you're the person who stood the test of time with your faith, and they know where to come. When your friend's marriage falls apart, because listen, without Jesus, almost every marriage falls apart. It's just the truth. Without Jesus, you're not going to like your spouse much longer than three weeks. They're going to get on your nerves, they're going to do something, they're going to let something out of their body, they're going to lose hair, they're going to do... Without Jesus, marriages, they break apart. Without Jesus... You'll switch jobs. Without, without Jesus, you won't know how to go through, through much of, of anything. This is what the Bible says in, that Jesus said about what we should do. In John chapter 17, verse number 14, is one of his last prayers. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has, has hated them. He, he, he tells us, don't be surprised when people hate you because they hated me also. It's, it's, a, it's, it's really encouraging from Jesus. Don't worry about it. They, they hated me also. And then he says, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Remember, as you're posting about cultural issues uh, on, online and, and judging people and, and, and giving people the truth without, without grace, remember who you're really fighting. If you're, if you're, you're, you're doing that trying to fight people, you're fighting the, you're, you're fighting the wrong person. Maybe instead of, of spending so much time sitting down typing your, your opinions about the world that doesn't know Jesus and how can you expect them to act right if they don't know the love of Christ, maybe you should spend more time on your knees doing battle with Satan. He says the, the, the world is, 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 is not your enemy. Actually, Satan is your, your enemy. He keeps going. He says this. They're not of the world even, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you have sent me into the world... I'm sending them into the world. In other words, you, you're calling us, Jesus, to live in this world, but you're not calling us to live, to live for the world. So is it possible to live a clean life in a dirty world? Is it possible to be different so that God can allow you to make a difference? We're going to go to a book in the Bible in the Old Testament. If you have a, if you have a Bible, if you have a U version, you can just type in this book. It's Daniel, and it'll take you right there. But if you don't have a Bible uh, with you right now, and you actually have a Bible in your house, there's two, there's two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament is, is full of the Gospels and pretty much everything that happened after Jesus. Old Testament is everything that's kind of led up to Jesus. And we're going to go into a book that's about 2,500 years old, a book called by the name of, of Daniel. And when you read the book of, of Daniel, if you've, been in, if you've been in church for a long time, there's, 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 there's really two ways people break it up. It's a really cool book. The first part is, is what I would call the adventure part, where it's like Daniel in the lion's den. How many of y'all grew up in, in Sunday school and you remember the little flannel board or the, the video? Most of you didn't. You're lucky about that, but I did. And so it was like Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel uh, went into the lion's den because, uh, because he prayed, and they put him in, and he, God closed the, the, the lion's mouth, and he spent a night with a bunch of lions. I mean, crazy stuff. There's another part in the book of Daniel where, where this, this king that we're going to talk about, he builds this big statue, and he says everybody, when the music starts, bows down, and whoever doesn't bow down is going into this furnace. So these three men who, who came with Daniel from his homeland, they don't bow down. He gives them one more chance. They don't. He makes the furnace seven times hotter, the Bible says, and he sends them in. And the Bible says they're standing in there, and the king looks in, and he says, I, see, I sent three men in, but now I see, I see four men. 
One looks like the Son of God. It's a very powerful story. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. And so people read the book, and they, they, they do stuff like this. They go, God is the God who keeps you from all harm. He's the God who closes the mouth of lions. He's the God who keeps you from being singed in a fire. And I agree with that, but God is also a God that sends you into the fire. God, God is also a God that puts you in the, the, the lion's den. God, God is also a God who sends you to a, a foreign, godless country so that you can make a difference. He, he sets you apart. He makes you different so you can ultimately be a difference. So the story of Daniel is this man, and I know people will say, what does a 25-year-old hunter book have to do with us in America? What I would say is, well, many times we'll say it's really hard to live for Jesus because the culture is so bad. Our culture doesn't touch what happened to Daniel. Daniel's living his life. He's a, he's a, a successful young man. The Bible says he's good-looking. He's talented. He's a royal priest. He's, a, he's, in the, he, he's set apart in his land of, of Judah. He's being raised and, and with pedigree. He, he, he's perfect, the Bible says. He's living in a, in a safe environment. He's living in a structured environment. He's living under the protection of God. And all of a sudden, this, 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 this kingdom, this empire comes in, Babylon. Babylon is led by a man named Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to hear a lot about him for the next four weeks. And Nebuchadnezzar leads his army in, and they destroy Daniel's country. I mean, burn it to the ground. And you have to understand about Babylon uh, when I say it, how bad it is. Babylon, in the, in the book of Revelation, is compared to the most evil empire there ever was. The Bible talks about the end of the world, and it says Babylon is going to be stopped, quenched. In other words, this is the epitome and the example of, of evil. I mean, the ruler of it, he, he has the audacity to murder whoever he wants and sleep with whoever he wants and, and, and take men in and make them eunuchs in his palace, which means that he cut off their you-know-whats and made them, made them serve him and made them work for him. I mean, he was a bad dude. He would destroy temples. He would destroy history. He would wipe out people forever. So he comes in with the, with the Babylonian Empire, and they, they destroy Judah. And the Bible says they take Daniel back to, to Babylon. And now he's in this culture with this king that's disgusting and perverted and, and murderous and egotistical. I mean, you have to be you, an addict to your ego if you build a statue and say, everybody bow down to me or you're going in the fire. I mean, I don't know what you think about any president who's ever lived or, or run the American government. They're not even as close to as bad as Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, this dude is, is awful. He's raising up kids in this, this educational system that's demonic. The religions of that day were hostile toward, towards the truth of God. I mean, it was just this disgusting empire. So Daniel goes from everything being okay, and in an instance, everything is bad about his life. He's gone from a clean, a clean environment and a clean culture to a disgusting culture where he has a choice. And this is what the Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign... And I, I tried to say this guy's name in the first service. I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to say Jah. And if he gets mad at me, he's dead. It doesn't matter. When I die, I said, you can call me Sta if you want. That's fine. In the third year of the reign of Jay, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's a, that's a pretty word to say. He came in and destroyed it. He burnt. He raped. He pillaged. He stole. He did whatever he wanted. He besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jay, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Can you, can you just see this whole thing happening? He comes in and he destroys everything. And listen, the temple at that time represented the house of God. 
And inside the, the temple was relics that represented the, the holiness of God, the, the Ark of the Covenant, things like that. He comes into the temple of God, and he destroys the temple of God, and he takes all these things that represent the God, the one true God, back to his, his home, his, his country, and places it in the, the temple of his false gods. And the message is, is my God just beat up your God. I mean, Daniel, if you just could picture this, he's going, what just happened? Not only did you not protect me, you've allowed yourself to get captured, God. What is, what's wrong with you? Why would you allow Nebuchadnezzar to come in here and destroy you? The Bible goes on to say that then the king ordered uh, Aspenaz, Aspenaz, I don't know how you say it, chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. We go on to see that's Daniel. He takes Daniel and he says, not only am I going to get you out of your, your clean environment, not only is your God going to lose this battle, now I'm going to take you back to my culture and we're going to re-educate you. We're going to get you to give in. So when I read the book of Daniel, some of you read an adventure book, the second part of the book of Daniel is a, is a prophetic book where it has all sorts of things. People have tried to figure out exactly what they mean and, and most of them have been wrong about it. When I read the book of Daniel, what I read is a story about a young man who not only goes into a, a bad culture and, and, and survives, he goes into a bad culture and he thrives. He, he goes into a, 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 an unclean culture, and you're going to see as we go, he changes it. But the thing that I think you see in the very beginning of his story, and the thing that's different with, with him and maybe me and him and maybe you, is, is how he writes about it. See, see the way you, you look at things is, is, is very telling with, with, with how... How, how you kind of define them and, and, and they affect you. Like if you, if you have a family that wasn't the best and you constantly are saying stuff like, I had an awful family. I had a family that just neglected me. I had a family that, that was mean to me. I have a family that judges me. Or you're in a job and it's constantly, I get overlooked at my job or, and I struggle with this. Or, or you're in school and everybody makes fun of me at school and I'm in college and everybody judges me and my professors. The way you look at that is very telling. For, for me, if I'm in this situation and I'm writing about this, I'm not writing the way Daniel writes. I'm saying, this is the worst time of my life. Literally, the worst time ever, God. Not only did you allow yourself to get captured, you allowed me to get captured. You allowed me to be taken from a royal person, getting trained to be a great man of nobility in your country, and now I am a nothing in a dirty culture. I'm a nobody. But you'll notice what Daniel writes, how he starts it. He says, in the third year of the reign of the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to besiege it. Watch this. And the Lord delivered. And, and, and the Lord delivered the king of Judah to him and allowed himself to get captured. In, in other words, he has a totally different mindset. His mindset is not... I can't believe this happened. I can't believe God allowed it to. I can't believe that this is the worst time of life. He's saying, the Lord, he allowed this. That God has, has put me in this situation. That maybe God didn't even allow himself to get, to get caught. Maybe God was going on, a, on an undercover mission to destroy this society, to, to make what was disgusting clean. That maybe God didn't put me in the family that I'm in because it's so awful, but maybe God put me in the family that I'm in to accomplish great things in my family and through my life. That maybe God didn't put me in the spot that I work in because he's against me, but maybe God has put me in this spot to make a difference. 
See, the way you see things is really important. It's what we call, call vision. A godly vision for your life is, is, is the most important thing as you go through your life. Here's what I know about, about vision. It is, is godly vision is, is preeminent or important over all wise decisions. That's the reason some of you make such unwise decisions in your life is because you don't have a godly vision. If you don't have a godly vision, you don't have a future. And if you don't have a future, you'll always go back to your past. So you'll start to follow God and you'll start to do stuff and then something bad will happen to your life. And because you don't have a godly vision and because you don't look at it right, all of a sudden you just go back. Well, God's forgotten me. God allowed himself to get captured. God allowed me to get captured. God is too weak to be doing anything. God can't change. can't change me. You just go back to your old your old way of life. Well, what's so important not only is what you see in your life, it's how you, you define it. Well, how you define what, what's happening to you. That's so important. My kids went to the zoo this week with, with, with Aaron, John's wife, and my, my wife went, and, and they took our two youngest on each side. So they took, they, they took the two middle ones and the two youngest ones, and they went up to the, to the zoo, and they walked into the zoo. And I'm, I haven't been to the zoo for a long time, but, but I'm well aware that the tortoises are one of the first things that you see uh, because you can, you can see them and go through the whole zoo and come back, and they're still in the same position. It's, it's the weirdest thing in the world. And so, so they go to the zoo, and, and we start to get texts, and the text is, uh, the tortoises are getting it on right now in front of our kids. Like, there's this whole National Geographic thing going on. We're going to have to talk about the birds and the bees, except it's going to be the tortoise and, and the, the tortoise. And so anyway, but all this stuff's going on. And so they came home that night. We were having dinner, and I was kind of laughing about it, but I was also kind of thinking, I'm not ready to have this conversation with my, with my five-year-old about what was going on. And so I asked her, I said, what did they think was going on? And Jude and Lincoln are really loud. I don't know if you, you know that. Like, like, Jude is like his mom, and, or, or not his mom, his dad, Sorry. And Lincoln is like, is like me. We're just, we're just kind of loud people. We're just kind of obnoxious. And, and, and I, I can just see because me and John, you didn't grow up with us, but we did a lot of things that we shouldn't have done. And we needed the grace. Our shame was, was great, but Jesus was greater. And so anyways, like we've done, we done some stuff at camps and stuff like that that we shouldn't have been doing to people and things like that. So anyway... So now we're getting repaid. That's the way God works. I don't know if you knew that or not. So our, we have these boys that are just like us, and so they're loud. And, and my, my thought about my kid is, is he's so loud that he'll start saying something. Now, I don't want him to start saying something about what are they doing, all that stuff. And so I asked him, I said, how did they act? And, 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 they, and she said, they started laughing. And I said, what were they laughing about? And she said, she said they, they thought they were fighting. <laughs> and, and I said, well, what did they say? And, and they said, look, they're fighting. Listen to the noises they're making. You know, all that stuff, oh, yeah, and all that stuff. And then, and, and, then, and, and then I said, and then one of them said, look, the one on top, he's smiling. Look, he's smiling. He must be winning. And I thought to myself, he's winning all right, you know. <laughs> and I thought to myself, thank you, God, that they thought they were fighting. But the truth is, is vision is not just what you see. It's, it's, how, it's how you see it. It's how you see it that determines how you kind of process it through your life. And so I want to give you a couple things that I think that was so important. Because Daniel was going to go to the lion's den. Daniel was going to watch his friends go into the fire. Daniel was going to stand before, before the Nebuchadnezzar and interpret dreams, which is a very scary thing to do to tell Nebuchadnezzar the truth about his dreams. Because at that point, Nebuchadnezzar was a crazy man that would kill you if he didn't like what you had to say. Daniel would stand up, and next week we're going to see as he was eat, eat the food that God had commanded him to eat and not eat the food that was sacrificed to idols. I mean, he would do stuff that takes guts, but I think it started with the correct vision. Godly vision for your life is so important. Not just what you see, how you see. So your problem is not what you're going through. Your problem is how you're, you're dealing with what you're going through. 
So here, here's three things. Number one is this. If you want to develop godly, godly vision for your life, you have to develop what I would call oversight. Oversight is the ability uh, to see things like God sees them in the way that he sees everything over everything. In other words, I'll explain it like this. Oversight is like you getting in a helicopter and going up over whatever town you live in. And when you're driving normally in Phoenixville or Boratown or Pottstown or Collegeville or Plymouth Meeting, wherever you're driving, sometimes you get so frustrated by patterns of traffic. I don't know if you do, but I do, and lights and why they have certain things, certain places, and why roads don't make sense. But I think if you go up in a helicopter, you get a different perception of what's below you. You see why lights are certain places. You see how traffic flows. You see how your city is put together. You see that it all makes sense because you're, you're higher up. And the first thing you need to do with your life is you need to start having faith in God as the overseer of your life. That, that he sees everything that's going on. I've heard it like this many times, and I thought it was so good, is if you have a quilt in your house, and you ever cut the quilt open on the bottom, you'll see that underneath the quilt, not the part that you see, but underneath it is craziness. I mean, there's, 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 there's yarn, and there's, there's just all sorts of, cra- it, looks, it looks like garbage, right? Like, you would never tell sweet sister Molly that made it for you, this looks like garbage, but it looks like garbage, and you wonder to yourself if you've ever seen a quilt. Some of you never have. I got one when we got married in Oklahoma by this sweet lady. I'm not sure what her name is, but we still have it. And, and it's, it's amazing to me that they can make something like this in the midst of chaos. But if you flip it over the other way, it's like a beautiful piece of, of sleeping comfort, right? You look at it, you're like, this all makes sense. I think that's how we are with God. It, it is underneath God, we kind of look at life, and we're going, this is a mess, you gave me the family that I have. You put me in the situation. You, you've given me this bad health uh, diagnosis. You, you've given me this thorn in my flesh. You, you, you've kind of you've, you've put me in situations I don't like it. And we're going, God, why would you do this? And then if you get to the other side and see what God sees, you would go, oh, that's why. Like, oh, I get it. You see over every situation. You're in control of, of every situation. I think that's the message of what Daniel says. He says that God allowed me to be captured. Not only that, God allowed himself to be captured. God God allowed us to go into this this really bad culture. In other words, what Daniel was saying is God is in control of who is in control. God is is bigger than than Babylon. You'll see that as we go through here, that God takes a couple men and places them in Babylon. And these couple men, because they stay faithful to God, he's going to work through the life and they're going to completely change this empire. It's kind of the, 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 the cycle of the Bible. It happened in the New Testament, too, where 120 people are in the upper room during the Roman Empire, and they changed the world. It's the way he works. Daniel has what I would call oversight. This is what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs 19. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. Many are the plans in, the, in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes. And I love what it says in Isaiah 14. The Lord Almighty has sworn. I love this. Surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will, will happen. In other words, step back from your situation. And this is what you do. You, you, you pray those, prayer, those prayers, Bible verses that, that all, everybody has on their Bible cups. You know, your Christian Grammy that has it. And it's like, it's like, for I know the plans that God has for me, plans to prosper and not harm. Those are good Bible verses. That God, God's a good God, that he causes all things to work together for my good. And so you got those Bible verses, and all of a sudden you start going through something where you're put in a situation that you don't want to be in. You step back and you say, God is good all the time, and all the time he's good. 
God, God's always in control. Many are the plans of man, and sometimes the plans come against us from other people, but God is ultimately setting our, our path straight. He's ultimately in control, and whatever he says is going to happen, it's going to happen. So even when my life is going to a dead end, I'm just going to keep trusting God. That's oversight. Another, another vision you need to have is what I would call insight. And insight is a deep understanding of a person or thing. I think this is where we, we, get, we get really mixed up with when we're following Christ. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the pastor's fault. But we've taught people for a long time with, with, a, with an attitude, and, and never on purpose, but if you follow God, everything's going to be easy. Just, just follow God. Life will be perfect. Not taking into account that everybody who followed God in the Bible, typically their life got harder. I'm reading through the story of David and and we, if we grew up in church, you think, okay, David got anointed to be king, and then David goes and kills Goliath, and then David becomes king. It's awesome. That's not what happened at all. David gets anointed to be king. David goes and he kills Goliath, and then David has 20 years of hiding out in caves. Jealousy happens. People are mad at him. The Saul, the king, the current king, he, he is with all of his armies is chasing David, and David's hiding out in, in, in caves. And I think David at one point is going, what the heck happened, God? What happened? But then I think he steps back and he gets what I would call insight. And insight is the understanding of how God, how God works. See, God's plan for your life is not to make it easy. I want to tell you that again because I think we think it is. God's plan for your life is not to make your life easy. His plan for your life and purpose for your life is to make you effective. And, and listen, you're not effective when your life has never been hard. You're not effective when you've never gone through the, the, the courses that I think are most popular in God's college, the course of struggle, the course of, of pain, and the course of sorrow. Because here's the truth. Our world is full of pain. I don't know if you've known that or not. Like even when they're, they're happy, there's really no happiness there because happiness is, is fleeting. And so you could do things that make you happy, but really that's an awful goal in life anyways. So you live in a world where people fall on their, their face, and let me tell you where people don't want to come, to Joe Christian that stands around and goes, my life is so easy. It's been blessed, highly favored. I've never gone through anything. I've never smoked. I've never slept with anybody. I'm on the mountaintop. I've been on the mountaintop. You're in the valley. You're bad. I'm good. See, oftentimes we'll look at people and we'll say, man, they haven't suffered anything. They've been so fortunate. The truth is, they're unprepared. They're unprepared. You, you become prepared for your future when you go through struggles, when you go through pain, and when you go through, through sorrow. It's the way God molds people to get them ready. And so here's the thing. Insight is you understanding the character of God. That the character of God is I'm not making your life easy. I'm making it effective. And you see in that blessings so much are not, hey, let me just give you everything you've ever wanted because there's people who have gained the whole world, yet they've lost their, their soul. Some of the best times in my life are times where I've went through seasons of pain. And I'm not going to lie and sit up here and say, I want more pain, God, please. Sometimes I pray, God, send it somebody else's way. But I am fully aware that what has gotten me ready for where I'm supposed to be in life is the things that God has brought through my life. That's, that's insight. Daniel says, God, you, you brought me here to do something through my life. And the last, the last type of vision you need is what I would call foresight. And foresight's like looking through a, through a telescope. I don't know if you ever looked through a telescope, but you get a telescope out and you look at a little dot in the, in the, in the universe and it becomes a bigger dot. It's amazing. 
So you look at this universe and it, and it kind of connects. And, and foresight is the ability to see and understand that what you're, what you're going through is what God needs to get you to what you're going to. In, in other words, whatever I'm going through right now, uh, is, it's the ability to recognize that, that my current something is taking me to my future, my future somewhere. It's the ability to, to see that God doesn't just take me to where he's called me to be without preparing me. But the way he prepares me is to allow things to come into my, to my life that will break me. That will, that will humble me. If you haven't been broken yet and you haven't been humbled, you're not ready to be used by God. It's just the way it is. If you haven't been put in a place where you are helpless and you need God, you're not ready to be used yet. But the important thing is when you get into those situations, because listen, if your prayer is, God, I want to be effective for you. I don't want to live an easy life. I want to be effective for you. I want you to make me different so I can be a difference. I want to be a light on, on a hill that cannot be hidden, not so that I can brag about how bright I am, but so that I can bring light to all of those that are in pain. God, I want to be that. If you start to pray those prayers, you need to be well aware. Insight. I know how it's going to work, and I know how he's going to get me ready. I know what he's going to bring me to. I know everything in my life is preparing me for where I'm going. Foresight is the ability in the middle of it to say, what I'm going through is taking me to where I'm going to. My, my current something is taking me to my, my, future, my future somewhere. You see, for, for Daniel, I think something happened in this situation that got him ready to do what he was going to do. What I think it is, is I think his vision of success changed. Success for many of us is aware. For Daniel, it was aware. Success was, here's where I live. Here's where you place me. Here's what I've accomplished. It's kind of a destination. For, for us in this world, success is aware. I'm going to get here. I'm going to get that car. I'm going to get that house. I'm going to get that prestigious job. That's where I'm going. That's success. But for God, success is not a where. It's a what. God took him from, from, Babylon, or from Judah, placed him in Babylon, and he put him in this, this situation, this awful situation. And Daniel's choice is to see it as God abandoned him or to see it as God getting him ready. You see, a supernatural mission requires a supernatural mindset. Sometimes for God to get you to places you should have never been, he's got to send you to places you don't want to go to. And God got him ready to do what he was about to do in and through his life, but it started with a, with a mindset that was correct, a vision that was correct. Success for me is being faithful to a what? I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this all the time, friend. If you're trying to find, find, follow God and be great, God doesn't need you to be great by what you accomplish or by where you end up. God needs you to be great by what you are being faithful to what he's called you or how you're being faithful to what he's called you to, to live in in your life. Your challenges that, that you're faced. What's the vision you have for your, for your life? Your, your oversight. Do you know God's hands in it? Your insight. Do you know how God works? And your foresight. Do you know that where you are is taking you to where you're going? Would you stand with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? This is a foundational message for us as we take this journey together, how to live clean in a dirty world. I want you to think about your what right now. And I want your prayer to be if you're a follower of Christ. God, I don't understand where you've taken me. And I don't know why you've taken me. 
but I'm going to be faithful with what you've taken me to. I'm going to be faithful with what you've called me to. I don't know why I had the family. I don't know where or why you placed me in this, this spot. I don't know why that you didn't open the doors up that I prayed that you would open up. I don't know why I'm in this season of life that I'm in. But I'm going to be faithful to what you've called me to. I'm going to see that you are over everything. Some of you in this place, you've gotten a bad, bad report from your doctor. You've gotten a bad, you've had a bad conversation from a parent. You've, you've lost out on something because you remained you remain faithful to God. You lost out on a, on a job. Maybe you got overlooked. Maybe you've been discouraged. I pray, new, I pray new eyes for you today. New vision. Not what you see, how you see it. You begin to rejoice. Why? God is over your life. He's over your life. What he said is going to happen is going to happen. He's in control of who's in control. He's bigger than Babylon. And he's put you right where he's put you. That's oversight. I pray insight. When you begin to ask God to do more in your life, before he gives you more, he takes you somewhere. And many times where he takes you is full of pain and full of sorrow and full of breaking and full of humbling you. God, I want more. I'm fully aware this is how you speak. This is how you teach. This is how you raise up. This is how you mold me. This is how you refine me. God, you've allowed me to be here. That's insight. And foresight is the, is the prayer of belief. God, I know that where I am right now is where I'm supposed to be because you brought me here to get me to where you're calling me to go. God, I'm in a hard family situation. God, you've given me this family to prepare me to be the man or the woman that I'm supposed to be to my future family. God, you put me in this job situation where I can work with faith to prepare me for what you're going to ask me to, to steward in the future. I'm not sure what it, what it looks like in your life, but I'm sure you can, you, can, you can label your what right now. Would you, just, would you just pray? And this is what I want you to pray. God, I just want to be faithful. I haven't been, maybe you haven't. I haven't been faithful in, my, in what you've called me to. I haven't looked at it right. God, I want to see right. It's not about what's going on in my life. It's about how I decide to look at it. Godly vision. It guides and directs wise decisions. God, would you guide and direct my steps? God, would you help me to fix my eyes on you? And as you, you do that, as you pray right now, there's people in this place that I, that I believe, maybe at all three of our campuses with, with Jordan and uh, with Bob standing in the front that would say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with, with God. I don't know him. You're talking about God and you're talking about Jesus and all this stuff and I don't really even understand it. And friend, I could talk to you for hours and maybe not do justice to how good that Jesus is. Sometimes you don't need, sometimes you don't need words that are extraordinarily long and deep. And this is something as simple as the words we sang in that song. That sin was strong, but Jesus is stronger. My shame was, was great. Jesus, you're greater. Sin was, was strong. Jesus is stronger. My shame was, was, was great. Jesus, he's, he's greater. Maybe that's all you, you need to hear today. Maybe as we sang that song that the Lord did something in your life, the Bible says that he knocks at the door of your heart. All you need to do is respond. And the message is really simple. It's so simple my kids can understand it. That I'm a sinner and that you're a sinner. That I've been broken and I've been lost and I'm full of hurt and I've done things I'm not proud of. 
and I've let people down and people have let me down and my life has kind of been defined by what's been, been said and by what I've done and I've kind of ended up where I've ended up because of all that I've done. That's life. The gospel is different. I would say to you, the only reason I'm standing here today is because of the gospel. The only reason that I can speak today is because of the gospel. The only reason I worship today is because of the gospel. And that's what this church is all about. That's the only thing this church is all about. I know that churches get focused on the wrong things, ours included. But we are only focused on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the very thing that Jesus died for and came back and said, go tell everyone. And the message has been the same for the last 2,000 years. If you're a sinner, if you're broken, if you're lost, if you're full of shame, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. You're right where you're supposed to be because this is not a house for good people who've accomplished great things for God. This is a place for a good God who accomplished great things through his son, Jesus Christ. And he got to me, and he can get to you. That at your lowest, that he can reach down and bring you to maybe where you never envisioned your life to be. That God is a God of love and hope and comfort. And before you can ever start this journey of being effective in your life and being made different so you can make a difference by bringing joy and hope to people, that you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the answer to your life, friend. He changed me, and that's the only reason I'm here, and that's the only reason I preach, and that's the only reason that we ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at the end of the service is we want to give you an invitation. We want to invite you to a, to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he died on a cross for your sins, was put in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And all those who put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they'll have new life. That for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God that cost him everything is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in this house, if you're at our other campuses, if you're watching online, you say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I never prayed that prayer. I never believed in my heart. But I want to do that today. I want my life to be right with God through Jesus. You'd be man or woman enough to admit that you're a sinner, that you're broken, that you're lost. And you'd be humble enough to admit that you need a savior. You'd be real with yourself. Wouldn't we live in a world that's completely fake? You'd be real with yourself to the point where you say, you know what, I can't live life like this anymore. I'm not waking up one more Monday without purpose. I'm not waking up one more Monday without a future. I'm not waking up one more Monday looking for things that I'm not going to find. I believe, I believe it's Jesus right now. That's putting your faith in Jesus. If you're in this place at other campuses, and that's you, would you just simply shoot your hand up in the air so I can see that I'm going to be responding. I'm going to be praying with you at the end of today's message. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of, of my life. If you're at our, our Limerick or our Plymouth meeting campus, just shoot your hand up in the air and just say, you know what, uh, we're going to pray with you. I'm going to be asking Jesus to be the Lord of, of my life. Is there anybody in this room who say, that's me, Pastor, that's, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. I'm not going to walk away. One more moment, live this life. One more moment, walk in these lives. One more moment. Is there anybody who say, Pastor, that's, that's me in this moment? Would you pray with me, church, for those that raise their hand at other campuses? Would you pray for those that are going to pray this prayer during the week? Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for those that are in this place right now that maybe, maybe they're deciding after they've raised their hands, but for those that, uh, that, that are in our other campuses that raise their hand, they're deciding right now to follow you, Jesus. That it's a decision we get to make, and I thank, I'm th thankful for that, Lord. 
Now, maybe we didn't have plans to, to meet you today. Maybe we, we were just trying to come to church to, to see if this would work, to see if maybe this would help us to become a better person, to get on a different path. I thank you, Jesus, that you met us here and that you don't save us to make us good people, Father. And you don't save us because we're good people, Father, but you save us because we're yours. And you change us by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I thank, you, I thank you right now that as we place our trust in you, Jesus, our risen Savior, we believe that you died for our sins in our place. And we put our trust in you, Father, that you're saving us past, present, and future. You're securing our future in, in, in heaven, Father. And not only that, you're not only being, becoming our Savior, you're becoming our Lord. You're our Lord and we trust you, Lord. The more we trust you, the more we follow you. The more we understand your love, the more we obey you. And so I thank, I'm thankful, Father, that you save us and you have a good and purposeful plan for us. And Lord, for those that, that are in this place that are growing in their faith, Lord, give us correct eyes to look at our life, Father. Father, we're thankful for every test, every, every obstacle, every, every amount of pain, every struggle we go through. Lord, we know that's how you work to get us ready, that you didn't... You didn't save us to make our life easy. You saved us to make us effective. I'm thankful, I'm thankful, Father, that those who take this next four weeks serious and they live a clean life in a dirty world, that you're not setting them apart so that they can just be different for nothing, but, Lord, they're going to see that they can make a difference for you. There's going to be friends that come to them looking for answers, and they're going to know where to look because of what you've done in our lives and how you've changed us, Father. And I'm thank, thankful in advance for the, for the results that are going to come from the, from the faith and the and the work that we put into following you, Jesus. It's never been easy to follow you. But Lord, we give you ourselves. We give you our time, our talents, and our abilities. As we go into this world, Lord, help us to make a difference for you. Help us to remember you in everything we think, say, and do, Jesus. We love you so much. We thank, we're thankful for this time you've given us at all three of our campuses. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, would you clap with me all over this house?